All right, welcome to this edition of The General Manager. My name is Aaron Thomas. For Saturday, March 23rd, our third actual episode of this brand new podcast designated to talk more than just X's and O's. We want to talk about the business side of the National Football League. And, you know, most other podcasts, you kind of talk about strategy. We'll, we'll talk some of that, but it's sort of on the surface. You get the surfacey stuff. Here we're going to go behind the, the curtain, so to speak, and talk about what general managers have to think about every single day while they're trying to rebuild their team or trying to basically turn over their teams in some cases. We'll talk about some of the NFL rules and some of the things that designate uh, the reasons why general managers have to do what they do, uh, some of the uh, things that make us scratch our heads, like what the heck's going on in that team. And we'll start with the last seven days of, of transactions in the NFL. Some of the key transactions, you know, the, the last seven days has really been about the backup quarterback as the Houston Texans, who uh, already have their starting quarterback already set to go with Deshaun Watson, uh, has signed two guys uh, to their roster. They bring back Joe Webb for a one-year, $1 million deal. And then A.J. McCarron comes over to Houston for one year and $3 million. And you wonder why would they want to sign two guys to back up uh, Watson? And a lot of this is probably because Joe Webb uh, is also not only can play quarterback, but he's also played wide receiver in that offense. And you never know. You could, I guess you could never have too many guys that can go under center in case somebody gets injured. Uh, you got Trevor Simeon, who uh, signs a one-year deal in New York Jets for $2 million. RG3 signs a two-year deal to back up Lamar Jackson in uh, Baltimore. And then you got Fitzpatrick, who uh, goes to Miami for two years and $11 million. What's going on with Miami? Now, we'll talk about that in a little bit about when we talk about dead money and what that means to teams. And then down in Los Angeles with the Rams, they got Blake Bortles uh, for one year, $1 million. Whoa. This is a guy who uh, not too long ago was designated as a franchise quarterback there in Jacksonville as uh, landed, I guess, is uh, kind of a really word that is kind of stretched uh, down in Los Angeles for one year, $1 million. And Mike Glennon ends up in Oakland. Again, he was a guy that was designated not too long ago to be the starting quarterback in Tampa Bay, is now a backup in Oakland. And so you take a look at what, what the Seahawks have done in the last seven days, and you know you figure out how they're trying to shape their, their, their um, team. And of course, not a whole lot happening in the last seven days. Uh, you know, you could say that just before the lot, you know, about nine or 10 days ago, was when they did a lot of their signings, of course, just to recap some of the bigger ones uh, so far. Of course, Jason Myers, who I think is probably going to be one of the best uh, signings of free agency in all of the NFL, just because, you know, he was a Pro Bowl kicker last year. And of course, uh, our kicking in Seattle has always been a question mark, well, has been the last few years, ever since Hauschka took off for bigger money. And of course, uh, you know, he signs for four years and $15.45 million. And so that, that's, a, that's a really good um, agreement, I think. And you got George Fant, who signed for one year and $3 million as a tender. 
as a restricted free agent. And if somebody was to come along and try to sign Fant, then the Seahawks will get a second round pick in the 2020 uh, draft next year. Uh, Austin Calitro did sign a contract with Seattle to back up there as an inside linebacker. Uh, Emmanuel Ellerby also signed a contract in Seattle. Uh, Kalen Reed, which I think is an actual, going to be a really good player in the future, did sign a contract with Seattle on March 13th. Uh, I think that just because, you know, we definitely need depth on our our secondary. And uh, Kalen Reed does a a really good job of knowing the system. Uh, It's kind of a a, a bit, not a gigantic dude. He's not uh, Brandon Browner, but, you know, he's somebody that uh, knows the system, has got really good hips, and can definitely uh, back up there in Seattle. Mike Ayupati, Ayupati is a guard. Again, he signed for one year and $2.7 million contract on March 14th. And K.J. Wright comes back to Seattle basically on a one-year deal. It says two years for $14 million, but uh, the Seahawks can get out of it after one year. And again, I think that's probably good on both sides just because if K.J. did not get injured in uh, this last year, I imagine he probably would have coveted uh, at least uh, 7 or $8 million a year. But because he had that that injury that just kept uh, nagging him throughout the year last year, and he finally came back near the end of the season and uh, did solidify that outside linebacking uh, position for Seattle, uh, he's basically on a prove-it deal. So we'll see what happens there in Seattle uh, going forward. But with him and, and Michael Kendricks, who I'm really happy, uh, you know, short of any kind of legal thing he has to do, uh, you know, that might affect him for the season – uh, will make Seattle's linebacking core really good, fast, smart linebacking uh, corp in the NFL. And of course, DJ Fluker comes back on a two-year, $6 million contract with Seattle. So the Seahawks, again, we'll talk about you know, a little bit later on this ed- edition of the podcast about the, the, the big three in Seattle and what they're going to do. Uh, and I'm going to you know, basically put that out there that I think the Seahawks should trade Frank Clark. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But as we continue on, you take a look at some of the key free agents that are still available that are sitting out there uh, on the market. You got Indomitian Sue. You know, he's 32 years old. Uh, you know, you wonder at uh, this time of free agency, unless you're one of the teams that has a lot of cap space left, which there's a few out there. Um, you're not going to get a gigantic deal. Uh, I think what happened with Justin Houston was an anomaly. He goes to the Indianapolis Colts, and they get him for uh, some pretty big money, especially for a second wave of uh, free agency. But short of that, you're you know, and Dominican Sue, you know, right now, if he was to get signed, and if, and if his agent isn't uh, you know basically uh, helping him get one of those big contracts like Houston got then you know he's going to be signing somewhere between 4 to 5 million dollars a year. Will he take that kind of money? Will he take anything less than 4 million, which is a lot of defensive linemen are taking right now in this almost third wave of free agency. You got Eric Berry, he's 30 years old coming off significant injuries over the last few years and I believe he's a he survived cancer or some kind of life-altering um, disease uh, not too long ago. You got Ziggy Ansah, He's 30 years old. 
and Nick Perry, who's 29 as an outside linebacker for the Packers. You have uh, Jamie Collins, who has been with a few teams as an inside linebacker, 29 years old. Uh, and nose tackle Jennigan, Jerrigan is 26 years old. He's kind of intriguing for any team that's looking for a run uh, stuffer. He could play a nose tackle and be uh, 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 have some good, good years with you with only t- uh, 26 years old. Austin Safarian Jenkins is only 26 years old. He's a free agent. He's sitting out there, 26 as a tight end. And Demarcus Thomas, Demarius Thomas, excuse me, he's a wide receiver, 31 years old. Now, speaking of wide receivers, you have uh, a few guys that the Seahawks are rumored to go after, which is Jordy Nelson. He's 34 years old and Jermaine Curse at 29. Now, both guys should not cost too much money to bring in, at least on a one-year prove-it deal. And if you're out of the two guys, who would you go for? Jordy Nelson at 34 years old or Jermaine Curse at 29 years old? And of course, a lot of us Seahawks fans were very loyal to our guys. And of course, a lot of us love Jermaine Curse. We've had some amazing ups with him and some, unfortunately, some downs with Jermaine Curse over the last few years. But you know, uh, the last couple years of when he was playing with, with Seattle, he goes to the Jets and does pretty okay, well with them. Okay with them, he was a serviceable, you know, third, third or fourth, uh, you know, uh, person on their uh, on their roster for wide receivers. So, I guess if you're Seattle it, it, at this point in the game, you're looking at a how much money can we get? Can we get the lowest amount of money for? One of these two receivers, especially with when we're talking about Doug Baldwin having uh, the news this week that he's going to need surgery on a, a sports hernia, which I've had that surgery, by the way, and that's not fun. That surgery sucks. <laughs> you're literally sitting in bed for, you know, up to six weeks. You know, you're not supposed to do any kind of extenu- extraneous workouts. You're not supposed to do a lot of running or lifting. You're really just supposed to just, you know, let the, the surgery recover. And, you know, for someone like Doug Baldwin, who is a, a, a tremendous competitor, is he going to be able to, you know, do what the doctors say and, and just basically, you know, stay at home in, in his big, big house and just kind of hang out until his surgery gets better and recovers? I don't know about that. And there's been rumors about him even re- wanting to retire. I I don't believe those rumors. I think that, of course, every player that has to, you know, especially as as Doug Baldwin gets into his 30s, you know, you wonder, you know, does he really want to play the game? But I'm telling you, the guy, they didn't call him angry Doug Baldwin for any particular small reason. It was for a humongous reason. And he he corrected me one time when I, I called him angry Doug Baldwin to his face. He told me, I'm not angry, I'm passionate. And so that right there tells me that, you know, it's not just about the money, why he plays the game. It's because he's passionate about the game. And I, I see him definitely coming back next year. But my concern is, will he, is, is he so passionate that he's just not able to recover uh, in a timely manner? I mean, it could be middle of the season before he actually gets into a uniform and plays for us regularly. So what do you, what does the team have to do to make sure that they are covered in the wide receivers? And is it is it getting a Jordy Nelson who's 34 years old, who's got tons of experience in the NFL, has played with uh, one of the best quarterbacks of all time, and can he come to Seattle and you know help us in a in a slot receiver type of position? 
and can or can Jermaine Kirst do that? Both guys are kind of lengthy. They're kind of tall dudes. They're mostly uh, used in in out routes. They're not really that slot receiver uh, threat that normally you would want, like in a Doug Baldwin. And so we'll see. I mean, maybe the answer to Doug Baldwin is on our practice squad. Maybe there's a, a guy there that we can bring up that can help us with that. Uh, maybe we just uh, do what we can to to just continuously be a running team like we are kind of creating this team to be anyway with uh, the re-signing of Fluker and with bringing Iapati onto the team. Maybe we just, you know, heavily rely on the run in 2019 and really not uh, need uh, Doug Baldwin at this time. Who knows? At this time, though, this is kind of one of those 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 periods that you go back into every NFL team and you go, wow. I'm glad that the Seahawks were able to go after that guy that was in that second or third wave of free agency. We got him on a one-year deal, prove-it deal at $2.5 million, and look what he's done for the team. So we'll see as uh, the Seahawks go forward. And next, I want to talk about uh, the dead money. What is dead money? what does it mean to really you know, assist your team in trying to develop it and create a, a team that's got a ton of, of leverage and capital? We'll talk about that next uh, right here on The General Manager. All right, welcome back to The General Manager. We are now talking about the salary cap and what is dead money? Before we get into dead money, we're going to talk a lot about what, uh, how much money each team has. What is the size of the pie they get to to dole out to the players? And you know, the base salary cap for each team is at 188 million dollars. And out of that, you have uh, you know cap space, you have uh, dead money, and right now the the number one team that has the most dead money right now are the Miami Dolphins. And followed by the New York Giants, and we'll talk about more that about that specifically here in just a second. But let's back up a little bit. You know, so basically, teams that uh, are you know, the, the normal way that general managers normally do business is that they like to be able to prorate bonuses. These are like the guaranteed money or roster bonuses that that the the players get. A lot of the contracts that are created nowadays and, and in the past. Have been to, you know, prorate those bonuses, meaning that they'll, they'll say, okay, I'll give you a five million dollar signing or a, a roster bonus, but I'm going to do two and a half million this year and two and a half million next year, and so that's called prorating, saying that we're going to pay you uh, those 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 roster bonuses in later years, and and then so, but what if that team decides to cut the player? Or what if the team decides to trade the player? Or what if the, the player decides to retire? You know, there's all kinds of reasons why the player's not on the team anymore. Well, the, the bill is still there. You don't just, just because the player leaves, he doesn't take that money with him. The, the new team doesn't pick up that bill. That That's called dead money. It's basically money that's on the books that uh, is basically there for uh, the cap uh, uh, allocation. And so over the years, uh, teams have been prorating those bonuses, trying to save on this year's salary cap so they have more pie to spend this year to help their team you know, get those $2.5 million players per year or $4.5 million players 
for this coming year. So they'll say, okay, we're not going to give that player $2.5 million this year. We'll give it to him next year. And instead, we'll use that $2.5 million to, to pick up that wide receiver that we need. And so what, I, what we're finding out is that the, the teams who don't prorate bonuses are the ones that are not – they're basically paying now rather than prorating them and waiting for future years to give them that money are the ones that are ending up winning. Teams that do this have less dead money on the books. And, you know, again, at the end of the day, teams want to minimize the cost of terminating a contract. And why would a team want to terminate a player's contract? Well, we've noticed that this offseason already with two prime receivers where the New York Giants and OBJ and in Pittsburgh uh, with Antonio Brown, these were two players that were not happy being on their teams. They, they threw their teams under the bus. They threw their owners under the bus and they wanted out. Well, when, they, when the team signed those big time wide receivers, they weren't going to give them all the guaranteed money in that one year. They decided that they were going to prorate their bonuses. Well, guess what? You know, at the end of the day, those teams, the, the, the top five teams that have the most dead money happen to be the New York Giants and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, you look at, uh, you know, teams with extremely high dead money will fold the next few years to basically turn their roster over. You look at the 2013 Oakland Raiders, and before 2013, they had guys that had, you know, tons of, of, of prorated bonuses, and yet their, their team was getting older and older. And so Reggie McKenzie goes in there and says, you know what, we're going to have to basically fold the next few years just to, to turn this roster over and we have all this dead money that basically counts against our overall pie that now we can't spend on, on getting the guys that we need. So we're just going to have to you know, ride this thing out. And unfortunately for Reggie McKenzie, he, you know, the, the, the wave was too heavy. It was too big for him to really turn that roster over like he wanted. And time ran out. And he ends up uh, you know, not being in Oakland anymore. And they bring in Mike Mayock. They bring in John Gruden. And so you got guys now that uh, in, in Oakland now, you take a look at since 2013, they're in the middle of the pack. You know, they only got $5 million left in dead money. But back in 2009 and through 2013, they were in the 20 to $30 million of dead money that was sitting on their books. And so they're getting themselves out of debt, so to speak. And the teams that have gigantic amount of dead money are the ones that are basically, they're just packing it in. Look at Miami. Earlier in the podcast, we talked about uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick and the fact that they, they're going to be leaning on this guy to be their starting quarterback. They're only paying him, what did we say, two, two years at uh, $11 million for the total contract? That's your starting quarterback. You know, I mean, come on. You look at all the other guys that they let go over the last few years. They've got $36 million in dead money. They've got $28 million of money left to spend. So they're upside down. They've got $36 million in debt and $28 million left to spend. They are definitely upside down. So you people wonder, what are they doing down there in Miami? They're folding it up. They're basically trying to lose. They're going to get guys that are going to probably, you know, help them win three or four games this year 
and they'll be in the top parts of each round of the draft in 2020 and beyond, probably for the next three or four years until that their general manager down there can get that dead money down and they can get their cap space available up and be right side up. You know, that's what the teams are trying to do right now. They're trying to be right side up. You got the Giants. Look at the butte over there, uh, East Coast there, New York Giants. Woo! They've got $33 million in dead money and $12 million left to spend this offseason. $12 million left. $33 million. Oh, my goodness. That is crazy. And then you got the Jacksonville Jaguars. $24 million in dead money. $15 million left to spend. You got Baltimore, uh, which I was, you know, I think that's a lot of that's the Joe Flacco deal. $23 million in dead money, $16 million left to spend. Conversely, you look at some of the ones that have less dead money. Let's get to the ones that are healthy or more healthy, I should say. Even though the Bears only have $18 million left to spend, they've got less than a million dollars in dead money. That's really healthy. Tampa Bay Buccaneers only have $3 million left to spend in their cap, but they've got $1 million in debt. That's pretty solid. They're still right side up, even though they only have uh, $3 million left to spend. The Indianapolis Colts, oh my gosh. These guys are definitely setting themselves up to be probably one of the youngest and most dynamic teams in the NFL. I'd really be watching out for them in the AFC for the next three or four years. On the books, they've only got $1.2 million of dead money. And I don't know if this has been updated for the Justin Houston deal or not. Let's take a look. And they've got about, you know, it says here $76 million left to spend on this year's cap. But again, I, I think because the Justin Houston deal has not been solidified yet, they're probably within about $50 million left to spend, I would say, somewhere around $55, $56 million. So kudos to Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Colts. He's definitely uh, taken over this team since 2017 and is really uh, playing the cap game really, really well over there in Indianapolis. Of course, they've got their starting quarterback, Andrew Luck. They've got some pretty good pieces down there or over there. Eric Ebron's still there. you got uh, several guys that that are, you know, uh, ready to rock and roll. Uh, a lot of young players, too, uh, that the Colts have uh, that are going to help take this team uh, to the next level, I believe. And, you know, one of their uh, gu- their guards, I loved Mark Glowinski when he was in Seattle. I was really not heartbroken when we let him go, but I was kind of confused. I mean, I, he was one of those guys that wasn't going to break the cap. Uh, he didn't cost a lot of money against the cap. And even this year, he's only $3.3 million against the Colts cap. And, you know, he's a rising star on that offensive line. I think if Solari was still was here a couple years ago, instead of Tom Cable, we probably would still have um, Glowinski in Seattle. So you take a look at the cap space, you take a look at in Seattle uh, for a quick second, and the fact that... Uh, yeah, in Seattle, the Seahawks with uh, under general manager John Snyder. Snyder's got uh, about $12 million left in cap space. Uh, but you've got, you know, four picks in this year's draft. And it's going to be about $2.5 million in this coming uh, uh, draft. That's $2.3 million, according to field goals. 
So I want to thank my friends at Field Goals for doing some uh, some math for us that um, they, the Seahawks got about $2.3 million projected cost for four picks in this coming April's draft. And, you know, you take a look at what the cost of the draft is, and Seattle is notorious for getting out of the first round. They they have a first-round pick. They trade it out. And this year, it's projected to save Seattle a million dollars against the cap if they move out of that 21 pick, 21st overall pick, and into uh, the second round, they will save a million dollars. And so you, you figure uh, Seattle's got about $9, $10 million left to spend outside of the draft. And what teams are looking at right now, oh, and before we get there, you know, the June 1 deadline's coming up. Not, it's coming up pretty fast. Cam Chancellor is uh, counting against this year's, dra- uh, this year's cap. And uh, a post-June 1 savings would be $4.8 million, uh, according to overthecap.com. If Seattle releases him, when Seattle releases uh, Cam Chancellor after June 1st, the Seahawks will save $4.8 million. So basically, you've got about, right now, you've got about $9 million left to spend in this year's cap outside of the draft. And come June 1st, when you have maybe that fifth or sixth round, or fifth, fifth or sixth wave of free agency, you might be able to pick up a guy or two with that $4.8 million. But uh, we'll talk about how that $4.8 million is going to help either uh, sign or extend uh, either Frank Clark or Bobby Wagner or Russell Wilson. We'll talk about that in the third segment of the general manager. But uh, right now it's all about the comp picks, compensatory draft picks. What are those? 32 compensatory picks are awarded to teams based on the players that they lost or gained in free agency. Now the league is the one that defines what or who is a compensatory free agent. They're the ones that says, well, you know, and a lot of that is based on the the new annual salary of the player that moved from one team to the next. And based on that salary depends on what the league gives that team in terms of a compensatory pick. And so um, teams are awarded at the end of March. So coming up within the next week at the league and annual uh, league uh, the, the uh, coming up is going to be uh, the annual league meeting um, starting the 24th through the 27th. So next week we will know what or how many picks the Seahawks are going to be given in the 2020 draft. And so the teams right now are figuring out, okay, do I want to go after some of those, uh, you know, third wave uh, guys that we were talking about earlier? Do I want to go after Indomitian Sue? who is probably going to cost me 3 or $4 million against the cap, or Ziggy Ansah, who wants 4 or $5 million against the cap. And not only are you losing cap space, but you also are going to probably lose the ability to get a comp pick. And again, those are awarded at the end of March. So some of these bigger, uh, some of these teams that are, you know, trying to figure this out are basically, um, you know, having those war room discussions right now. Do we want to give up? And, and so let's say uh, uh, Ziggy Ansah gets $5 million from a new team. Well, the the Lions who Ansah played for in 2017, 18, 
he's basically going to, you know, at $5 million, probably get a, a net the Lions a fourth round draft pick in the 2020 draft. But then the new team, let's say he goes to Seattle and Seattle pays him $5 million. Well, they are, they were on the books for four compensatory picks, which is the maximum because they lost Earl Thomas. They lost Justin Coleman. They lost uh, Maurice Alexander this week who could net him a six or net the Seahawks a sixth or seventh round draft pick. And so teams are having this discussion right now. Do we want to give up the future uh, for this year? Not only against the cap, but against, you know, losing that compensatory pick, which we could use next year. And, and moreover, those compensatory picks can be traded. They are draft capital that can be used, at, you know, to try to get uh, to move up in the draft or to get that player that they could that could, you know, really help the team go from good to great. And so, again, the compensatory picks are huge when it comes to general managing a team. Do you want to uh, how much are you willing to risk your future for this year is what every general manager is, tr- is trying to figure out. And so, you know, talking about dead money, we're talking about compensatory picks, you're talking about guys that are sitting out there and whether or not you want to go after them this year or do you just let them sit out and let somebody else that's got bigger cap space, that has less dead money, that has a lot of draft picks can go after. And those are the teams really that are in the driver's seat right now, the ones that have a lot of cap space. Like I said, the Colts, the Indianapolis Colts are looking really, really good this year. In the next, you know, a uh, few years, I would imagine. I mean, I'm really, really g- intrigued about them, uh, mainly because, again, if you take a look at uh, what they're building down there or over there in Indianapolis, I always think the Colts are the Indianapolis is like down from where I'm at, but they're over in <laughs> in Indianapolis. They've got, you know, two, four, six, eight, nine draft picks this year. Nine. Holy smokes. They've got nine draft picks. Um, they haven't released a whole lot of guys, so they're probably not going to get a t- ton of compensatory picks taken away or uh, awarded to them this year or for next year. But according to SportTrack.com, um, they've got basically uh, um, $65 million in cap space left. Woo! $65 million. So in, in theory... Could they go after Indomitian Sioux? Of course. Could they go after Ziggy Ansah? Yes. Could they go after uh, these? These are like, the again, the, the top of the third wave of free agency. Yes, they could go after Austin Safarian Jenkins, who's only 26 years old. They could go after Jordy Nelson. They've got the cap space to do that. And they've got nine draft picks coming up for this year. And they, they're not looking to have this big debate about compensatory picks because they didn't lose a lot of guys to begin with. I'm really intrigued with Indianapolis. I think that, again, we'll see what they do um, coming up. Justin Houston's deal is two years and $24 million. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how they are. They're in a good driver's spot. Where's Seattle at? We'll talk about that next in the, uh, in this third segment of the general manager. Should Seattle trade Frank Clark coming up right here on the general manager. Welcome back to the general manager. We are going to get into a highly contentious debate with myself. There's no other person on this podcast, but 
We're going to talk about Frank Clark. And I'm specifically choosing Frank Clark because it's kind of a conundrum what Seattle's in. If you take a look at that position overall, over the years, the Seahawks have done a really good job of, of you know, coveting that, that really fast, beast-like defensive end. Cliff Averill, you know, played that position before we got Frank Clark. And then Frank Clark was drafted, and he's become a, a beast and someone to reckon with as a defensive end. And you take a look at the overall uh, direction of the NFL and the fact that teams that are winning, that, that have high-powered offenses, you know, their quarterbacks are throwing the ball quicker than they've ever thrown in the history of the league. You know, it used to be where a, a quarterback, you know, back in the 80s and 90s would be sitting back there for, for over three seconds before they would throw the pass. Now we're under, under 2.5 seconds. And you look at even in our own division with the high-powered offense of the Los Angeles Rams and teams that are going to that quick style, quick pass, you know, even timing passes where they're throwing the ball into a, a zone, an area of the field. It, it, the, the, the defensive ends are not getting to the quarterback as much as they have over the years. And I think that trend's going to continue in the next you know, two to five years until defenses decide to figure out how to get to the quarterback quicker than two and a half seconds. So you, you wonder what the Seahawks are doing. What's John Schneider trying to do? General manager's like, okay, do we sign a, a second contract to Frank Clark, who is going into his prime and, and allocate, you know, anywhere between what's going on right now, defensive ends are getting anywhere between 15 million and seven and 19 million a year. Per year, do you go after that? Do you, do you say that's going to be one of our, our second highest paid position on this team? Or do you, and then not only that, not, not the or, but the and. You have your quarterback that's due. You know, the quarterbacks are coveting, the top 10 quarterbacks are coveting 19 million up to 32 million annual uh, per year. Can Seattle do both? Can they? Can they give Russell Wilson his due? And Sport Track is is valuing Russell Wilson at about thirty two million dollars per year going forward. You got uh, the defensive ends, and can Seattle, you know, get away with a fifteen million dollar price tag for Frank Clark? So now you've got you know forty seven million dollars of a, of your pie being allocated to two guys. Does Seattle? pull the trigger and extend Frank Clark from and try to reduce his annual cap hit in, in Seattle and try to still, you know, right now his cap hits at 17.1 million. You know, if, if Seattle could get him to a four-year deal and get him down to 15 million, you're saving 2 million bucks on the cap, which is good. Again, it could probably, you know, sign you Jermaine Curse for the season, knowing what Doug Baldwin's going through. Or some people have thrown out the idea of trading Russell Wilson. You know, you, you've got some guys that are up for their own contract extensions next year. They're, they're up for free agency. Marcus Mariota, Winston, J- Jamison Winston, Dak Prescott, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Rivers in uh, Los Angeles Chargers, Philip Rivers. 
Now, these, some of those guys are really old. <laughs> Roethlisberger and Rivers particularly. You know, do you want to, you know, spend $32 million on a third contract with Russell Wilson? Or do you want to, you know, save money on the cap in this offense and go with somebody like a Roethlisberger or a Rivers and pay him $22, $23 million against the cap and save yourself $10, $11 million annually? for maybe two years of service, draft a quarterback this year that can back up Roethlisberger or Rivers next year. It's going to be interesting to see what Seattle does. But, you know, and then finally you got Bobby Wagner. You know, Bobby Wagner this year is going to be a $14 million hit. And, you know, inside linebackers right now are averaging anywhere between $10 and $12 million annually per year. So their their numbers are actually reducing in terms of the what teams are spending. And, you know, does Seattle go after and say, okay, we're going to keep Bobby Wagner because he's like the, the defensive captain or the quarterback of the defense, and we can get him at $12, $13 million a year. Or do, we, do you uh, say, okay, Bobby, you're gone. We'll, we'll draft somebody in this year's draft that will take your spot as inside linebacker. I, I would really highly, highly, as a general manager, say that would be a ludicrous thought to get rid of Bobby Wagner, especially at that price range per year. So it leaves me, you know, the quarterback, you know, you take a look at all the championship teams with the, the exception of Nick Foles a few years back. You have guys that Tom Brady, Drew Brees, you have, uh, you know, Stafford, I mean, not Stafford, excuse me, Matt Ryan. You know, these guys are, are projected in the 27 to $32 million range. Matthew Stafford's at $27 million coming up. Um, Cousins, Kirk Cousins, $28 million coming up. You know, Brady's only going to get $27 million this year in, to stay in New England. You know, of course, Aaron Rodgers is at $33 million. So if your goal is to get to the Super Bowl, which I think fans and and everybody that, you know, Seattle's a, a, a number 10 power ranking right now as it stands through free agency, you know, so they're, they're basically a playoff team. You know, do you, do you, again, when it comes to your future, do you say, okay, we're just going to go for it this year? You know, we've got basically $10 million left on the cap. We're just going to throw all of our eggs in the basket. We're going to draft just the four guys or maybe six and trade down. We're going to go after Indomitian Sue. We're going to pick up Ziggy Ansah and just go for it this year and say to hell with next year and let, you know, keep tagging, um, keep tagging the uh, Frank Clark or do you, you know, and then figure out, you know, Russell Wilson next year and figure out Bobby Wagner next year and just say, you know what, we'll put all of our problems into 2020. Or do you make the, the decision this year to go after draft picks and get some more capital? Because I'm telling you, the, the, the teams that, that take care of their problems now are the teams that continuously find themselves in the playoffs and have a chance to win the Super Bowl going forward. Now, again, I already established the fact that the Seahawks are, are in really good cap Position, even though they've only got $10 million basically left to spend and an additional maybe $4 million after June 1, 
you know, they're in, they're in the middle of the pack. They're not, you know, their dead money is low, which is what you want. We established why that's important. You know, they've only got four draft picks, which is is below average. You want at least six or seven going into every year. But of course, they they kind of you know salvaged the future already when they got Dwayne Brown. They picked up uh, you know Dwayne Brown. They had to give up draft picks for him. And so you take a look at what they did with Jimmy Graham. You know they've 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 been in this sort of position where they've sacrificed their future, so to speak, to try to win now. And you ask yourself as a fan, is that? Is that okay? Do you want the team to continue doing that? As a general manager, I'm, I'm look again. I keep coming back to the Colts. Indianapolis Colts surprised a lot of people this year. You know, they they made it to the playoffs. They uh, they got Andrew Luck back, which was humongous. Again, why the quarterback position is so huge, and it makes my case as to why the Seahawks need to, at minimum, find themselves an above average quarterback. For this team, they don't have to pay a, a top three uh, quarterback for the way that they play their offense. Their their offense is basically we're going to run at you, we're gonna we're gonna do that first. We're gonna establish that that mauling mentality to try to mentally defeat you throughout the game, and then we're gonna have our quarterback come through with some explosive plays you know, plays that are 20 or more yards down the field, or they can pick up that that third and 12. We're going to do that. That's the way that they, that this team is assembled underneath Pete Carroll. And he's always going to do that. I don't care who the offensive coordinator is. They're always going to be that, that kind of style with him and Schneider. That's what they've wanted since day one. And they're building this team this year to do that. They're also building their team to have a very strong and stingy defense. And, you know, is this year without a Frank Clark, are they going to be a stingy defense? Hell no, they're not. You know, they they ranked uh, 12th overall last year in points allowed, which is pretty good. You know, you're in the upper echelon of the NFL. With Frank, Without Frank Clark, you're probably an 18 or 22 ranked team, you know, averaging 25 to 30 points allowed per game. Now it depends on the the replacements. If Seattle, now let me let me throw this out. I'm gonna make the case why. Finally, make the case as to why Seattle should deal Frank Clark. Here's here's what my best case scenario is. Frank Clark is gonna command probably 16 million dollars a year when it's all said and done. He's gonna want a four or five year deal, so it's a long term extension. You're gonna he's he's gonna bulk at the one or two year out like. Uh, D Ford signed in San Francisco. He's not D Ford. He's a much more coveted player. He's more healthier than than D Ford. So Seattle's going to be or whoever is going to sign Frank Clark is stuck with him for at least three years. Is what's going to happen. He's going to command sixteen million dollars against the cap per year. And because Seattle has already sacrificed their their future. And so many other deals going forward you know, in the past. Going forward, it makes sense for them to deal Frank Clark to a team that's got a lot of cap space, that has a lot of draft picks, draft capital, that is looking to make a splash for 2019 and beyond. And I keep coming back to the Colts. 
You look at what they did in 2018. They were a pretty good defense. They were ranked 10th overall at 21.5 points per game allowed. That's pretty solid. But if you look at a place that they can improve, Justin Houston is a big improvement uh, to that squad because currently they have uh, Taekwon Lewis, who only had two sacks last year. Kimoko Toure had four sacks last year. And Jabal Sheard had five and a half sacks last year. Well, if you couple Frank Clark in with Justin Houston, now you've got yourself an amazing defensive line that will rival Houston Texans, that can go after New England Patriots, that that can complement that offense. And furthermore, they've got the cap space to do it. We've established that earlier in the podcast. $76 million left. They've got nine draft picks. So Seattle's looking at that with the, you know, their tongues hanging out <laughs> with that bib sitting there going, gimme, 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 gimme. They've got, and so here's what I would do if I'm Seattle. And this would be my first best case scenario for everybody involved. Frank Clark gets his 16 million a year. He's gets he gets his at least three years uh, you know, deal guaranteed. He, you know, goes to a, a team that could contend. In the AFC, which helps Seattle because now he's not being a threat to you unless you make it to the Super Bowl against them. Seattle gets, you know, what I'm going to recommend is a a number one. uh, They get two draft picks this year. They get the number 26th overall, which would uh, be amazing, or even the 34th overall, which is in round two. You know, beginning of round two, they get that and they get a round three pick. So whether it's the round one or round two and a round three pick in this year's draft, that's that's what I say Seattle trades. And furthermore, they get to then take that potential $16 million they would have spent on Frank and go after Indomitian Sued, go after Ziggy Ansah. But that has to happen like within the week, this this coming week. You have to have this deal go down. In the next seven days, you got the team meetings going on next week in Phoenix. It's not out of uh, out of the the realm to say that John Schneider and uh, the Colts, Chris Ballard, their GM, could sit down and say, "Okay, you're going to get one of the best up and coming stars to go after the Patriots every single play that he's on defense." To go after him, and then you know Justin Houston's on the end of his career, and uh, Jabal Sheard is also at the end of his career near the tail end. And furthermore, you only had your defensive ends uh, had less than ten sacks combined. So you're really going to take your team from a top ten team to a top five team with Frank Clark in Seattle. You get to then take that $16 million and reallocate it towards Bobby Wagner and uh, also extend out um, Russell Wilson. Because <clears throat> even if they're a running team, like I keep saying, you still they're in love with Russell Wilson. They took a chance on Russell when nobody else thought he could be a top 10 quarterback. And so they got that loyalty factor. And Russell is, uh, you know, basically, I believe, going to be the quarterback of the future for any team 
He can still run. He, I think he, he needs to lose some weight if he wants to do better at running. But you need that top 10 quarterback, guys. You need that. Just to even have a chance to get to the Super Bowl, you need that. And Russell Wilson provides that. And he's on your team now. He doesn't want to go anywhere, despite what people are, his agents trying to float out there that he can go to the New York Giants. He's not going to the Giants. The Giants are going to pick up one of the, the, the young quarterback arms this year's draft. And they'll, they will ride that guy next year after they get rid of Eli Manning. That's what's happening in, in East Rutherford, New Jersey. And the other, the other thought on, with Frank Clark, that is another team that has an option too, which I doubt, I give this maybe a 40% level of confidence is he goes to Houston. Houston Texans, you look at what they've done. They are, they are a top five team already in overall defense and points per game. But yeah, they got J.J. Watt. He had 16 sacks last year. Yeah, they have, uh, of course, Clowney, which they just franchise tagged him. So why would they put two guys that are making 15 to 20 million on their defensive line? Well, you take a look again. They have the draft capital. They've got less draft capital as the Colts do, but they've got the cap space to do it. And for 2019, you're going to have J.J. Watt on one side, Frank Clark on the other, and Clowney in the middle. Holy smokes. That's got to be probably the best defensive line in the NFL. Going up against the Patriots, who you're trying to take down, trying to go up against Kansas City, all those high-powered offenses. And I keep saying this. Teams in the future on defense either have to go all in on the defensive line or have a stingy uh, defensive back and linebacking core that can keep up with those those really fast uh, slot receivers and can stay uh, the deep threat. The safeties can stay along with the deep threats that are down that are going downfield for the explosive plays. I think the Houston Texans could be another landing spot for Frank Clark uh, because they could use him. And again, J.J. Watt's not going to be playing for much longer. I think with the, his injury, the, all the injuries he's had over the last two or three years, his concussions, yeah, I think Frank Clark could be a really good uh, future for the Houston Texans. And they can pull the trigger this year if they wanted to. So there's my case for dealing Frank Clark. I think you need Bobby Wagner. I think you need Russell Wilson going forward. Those are your two defensive captains on both sides of the ball. And, you know, Frank Clark, as much as I really appreciate the work that he's done, he's just, it's overpaying for a position that I think we can fill with not only the younger guys on our team that are up and coming, that are like, are really hungry to play, but you can also fill the gaps with a few defensive um, linemen, free agents this year. And yeah, it will probably cost the Seahawks a few compensatory picks going forward, but you're still staying within the power rankings. You'll probably lose a fourth-round compensatory pick if you get Ziggy Ansah or Ndamukin Sue. I think you go after Ansah. He's younger. Uh, Ziggy Ansah is under 30 years old. Uh, Well, he's at 30 years old, so he's, you know, he's kind of coming to his tail end of his, but he's got three or four more years before he really starts to lose it. Um, and so you could still draft a defensive end in the court in the in the draft this year, and so I don't know. I, I think Frank Clark is the one that needs to be dealt, but we'll see how it goes going forward. 
All right, that's it for this edition of The General Manager. Next Saturday, we'll get into, of course, what happened the last seven days of transactions. We'll continuously talk about uh, what happened at the uh, the NFL team meetings, uh, especially with the rules. Uh, we'll talk about what rules were approved for changing. I think they're talking about instant replay mostly. And uh, we'll see how if uh, any, the Seahawks made any transactions, especially when it comes to their top three guys, okay? All right, guys, we'll talk to you next week. Take care. Mm-hmm.